Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 56. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always every week, is Enfant Terrible, Mitchell Davis. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> How's it going? Uh, it's going? It's going good. Um, I just got over the stomach flu, so that was awesome. But you went to Vegas. That's a lot cooler than, than what I did. Yeah, stomach flu versus Vegas. I would I would probably take Vegas. Uh, even a bad day in Vegas <laughs> beats the stomach flu, and I mm-hmm. I know that's you know trust me, it's stomach woes. They're no fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it sucked. Um, and uh, you got upgraded to like the the suite in the and you lived like a rock star oh god yeah that was um we we went to my wife and i went to planet hollywood and and two of our children and yeah they were out of the regular suites so we were upgraded to a full two-room suite it was beautiful view all kinds of real cool memorabilia in the room signed stuff by jackie chan and um chris tucker from when they did rush hour and a bunch of x-men side gear um oh, i was just yeah it was <laughs> cool all the stuff on the wall there was a picture this one picture i took a slick rick where he's he's posing with some guys I, I was like oh, okay i guess slick rick stayed in this room you know slick wow. rick the ruler you know so yeah yeah <laughs> vegas is i love las vegas dude i i'm thinking about maybe once i retire vegas would be a fun place to be i don't know um i'm sure some people they get burned out on, on that whole deal but you know it's it was it was a good time. Dude, okay. sl- slick Rick and X Men stuff. That's like yeah. that's like your room. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it was it was awesome. I, I can't wait to go back. I'm I'm gonna try to go back and go see Santana. I'll be there at House of Blues in May, so that'll be fun. Yeah, nice, cool. nice, um, cool, man. Well, on this episode of One Thousand Recordings podcast, we have three new albums to talk about. The first one is uh, Preludes by Claude Debussy, uh, played by pianist Christian Zimmerman. And then we're going to look at the Decemberists, their album The Crane Wife. And finally, Song for Ireland by Daydanen with Mary Black. So let's get on. Um, three, again, very different things this week. And we're going to start with French composer... Uh, Claude Debussy and uh, this album of his piano preludes uh, you know we covered uh, what an opera by Claude Debussy last time and uh, I talked a lot about the opera this time I'll talk a little bit about Debussy and uh, he had an interesting a very very interesting life Um, he was born 1862 died 1918 and uh he was kind of the, I don't want to say stereotypical is not the right word, but this sort of, you know, troubled genius <laughs> and his life. I mean, if you made a Hollywood movie of his life, you really wouldn't have to embellish it. It was uh, full of just, uh, you know, bohemian living and 
and ups and downs and tempestuous relationships with different, you know, models and actresses and married debutantes and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. And of course he was, uh, you know, on the, you know, cutting edge, doing things in music that, uh, were totally new and a lot of people didn't understand it. And, you know, he had troubles with that and, and, and on and on, you know, it would, it would, his life would make a great movie. Um, but, uh, you know, he was kind of an early prodigy and, uh, he entered the Paris conservatory at 10 years old and was there for like 11 years. So he's there for like, uh, until he was 21. And, uh, during that time, you know, studied piano and composition and all kinds of stuff with all the leading musicians in Paris and uh, at age 21, he won this prize called the Prix de Rome, which is was like a huge deal back then. It meant that um, if you won this prize as a composer, it meant that you were going to be successful. And almost to the point where if you didn't win this prize, it m- meant you should probably just give up. <laughs> sure. um, and it was a, a really, really rigorous thing to win. And what you did, what you won was uh, you went to stay in this palace in Rome and you stayed there for four years and basically just stayed in this palace and got waited on and stuff and just you were expected to just stay there and write music. Wow. <laughs> which is a pretty good deal. And the amazing thing is that this this prize is still going on today. The Prix de wow, Rome still really? exists in, in France and there's an American version too called the Rome prize that has existed I'd say since maybe the twenties or thirties. And I personally know, uh, several people that have won this prize. Um, and it's not, unfortunately it's not four years anymore. It's one year, but they still, they go and they stay at the same palace in Rome and they stay there for a whole year and they just write music. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing opportunity but um anyway um he you know was very rebellious and you know didn't like the music that was going on at the time he sort of had difficulties with his teachers because obviously they wanted him to do certain things and he didn't want to do it he wanted to do his own thing you know and uh in 1889 um he uh went to the world's fair in paris and there he heard this ensemble from Java, from the island, the Pacific island of Java. Um, they were playing their native, uh, it's called Gamelon. It's sort of like a, like a percussion ensemble. And there's a lot of like mm-hmm. different percussion instruments and like different gongs and different uh, instruments that are almost like, uh, like xylophone type mallet instruments or marimba type mallet instruments. Mm-hmm. Which this is a sound in a music that used scales and harmonies and all this kind of stuff that were completely foreign to Europeans. Um, And of course, this is before recordings, you know, so this was like totally blew his mind. Right. And and this kind of changed his music forever. He started looking east um, and started using sort of harmonies and scales that... uh, well, that not only Europeans never used, but kind of nobody had used up to that point. Um, and, uh, you know, people started labeling his music impressionist, 
after the Impressionist painters, which he apparently never liked that label, but I, I don't know. I think it's kind of appropriate to call his music yeah. Impressionist. Uh, yeah. Do, do you have any general impressions of this? Kind of what you what you just talked about or touched on where, you know, his, his Impressionist sort of, you know, style of, of writing where, you know, he could see, you know, a beautiful lake out in the woods or, or a postcard, you know, with a painting on it and, and seemingly was able to, you know, create a, an, an atmosphere in a piece that reflected that. Um, and and I, that's one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying about uh, this particular, um, you know, group of, of compositions, you know, because I, I can listen to them. And in, and even looking at the title, almost see what maybe he saw, or even get in my mind, you know, you know, of my own vision, you know, and yeah. I and I I love that, you know, I love yeah. the 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 way that he can sort of, you know, play with with that sort of notion of of, of what that may look or sound like in, in a sense, you know, where you know, obviously he's playing, and um, I think that's that's really cool because, like I said, I. I see it too, you know, and, um, yeah, well, he was, that's one thing he was definitely good at is sort of painting a picture with sound that we can, you know, that we can kind of see just by yeah. hearing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you know, he, in his later years, he was, uh, reportedly addicted to morphine. So that no. maybe <laughs> could have had some, bearing yeah, on the music that he, <laughs> yeah, yeah um i thought it was there was one quote that i found about just about him about his sort of personal life and about him it was actually came from mary garden we talked about her last time when we talked about paleos and melisande she was yeah. the the soprano that sang that role originally and she said of him she said I honestly don't know if Debussy ever loved anybody really. He loved his music and perhaps himself. I think he was wrapped up in his genius. He was a very, very strange man. <laughs> so, yeah. Sounds was, about right. That was interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, the first prelude we're going to hear um, off of this album by pianist Christian Zimmerman, released in 1994. Um we're going to hear this piece called the engulfed cathedral. And in the book, uh, Tom moon lists this piece as the sunken cathedral. That's not a correct translation. Uh, it's the engulfed cathedral it, it meaning like it's like a being inside a cathedral that's being engulfed in light. And, uh, it's really kind of what it sounds like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the piece ranges from really soft and ethereal all the way up to really massive and powerful. Um, and it sounds French. That's one. That's the big thing. One of the huge things with Debussy's music is the sort of nationalism that I've talked about before. But, um, you know, he wanted to create a music that was French. And the music at the time was dominated by Germanic composers. Um, especially Wagner and Brahms and people like this. And uh, he wanted to create a music that was 
you know, distinctively French. And I think uh, he, he, he absolutely did that uh, amazingly. Um, I don't know how, but it some, somehow sounds very French. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I would, I would say in, in the, I guess the attitude is the right word, but the attitude of the music, it, it definitely does not sound, it definitely doesn't sound German. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just a great example of, of somebody in that age, like you said, who kind of wanted to do his own thing, you know, where, you know, you know, popular to contrary belief, what he was doing, you know, was, was not the right way to make music. And, um, you know, obviously the time is, you know, kind of told a different tale, you know, with Debussy, which is, you know, really, really cool in a sense, you know, the way we get to look back and compare sort of, you know, what was going on then and then how he influenced other people, you know, as time went on, you know, with what he tried to do. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Well, let's listen to this first track from Debussy's Preludes, played by Christian Zimmerman. This is The Engulfed Cathedral. And we just heard the engulfed cathedral, and we're going to move on to our second prelude of Debussy. Uh, and I, th- I'm not sure I'm saying this right. Bruyère, Bruyère, I don't know. Um, which it translates to sort of like foggy or hazy or misty. Um, so this is another piece where he he sets up this 
you know, vague image and then sort of paints it with the music. And, uh, it, you know, it, it paints the, the image very well. I have to say again, he had this, this incredible talent of doing that, of setting up some kind of image and then realizing that image and sound. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, the progressions of harmonies and stuff uh, that you hear in this piece and, and really in any piece of Debussy, uh, it did not follow the convention of the day. You know, it didn't follow the harmonic convention. So a lot of people at the time were just like, they were either totally into it and really intrigued by it, or they were just totally turned off by it. It was yeah. like, you know, what is this? This isn't, you know, there was a lot of criticism, you know, people saying it was just, disjunct noise it was meaningless you know it wasn't music on you know etc etc um just because it was so different than what had come before you know um and anybody who does anything like this they always have this kind of problem you know they always have this kind of difficulty um during their life it seems like especially especially in in a in a setting where the classical classical music is like you know the focus yeah you know it seems like people i mean not always but people tend to be more much more conservative about change yes yes yeah there's this book i have um that has a really long title it's called the invective of no sorry the lexicon of musical invective but basically what it is is just this collection of bad reviews that composers got over the years Wow. From like Beethoven, you know, all the way up through like the mid 20th century or something. And it's amazing to read these reviews because you realize how people hear things when it first happens. You know, when we hear Beethoven, we've heard Beethoven for 200 years, you know? Yeah. And we've been through all this stuff, you know, it's not new. It's a tried and true classic you know but when it first came out it wasn't it was brand new and you read these reviews of like the ninth symphony you know the ode to joy ninth symphony and you hear these reviewers saying that it's cacophonous noise and it doesn't make any sense and it's it's you know and you're like what they're talking about the ode to joy you know but it's just you know when when something's new it's it's new people haven't heard it before and some people dismiss it outright you know because it's different um, and, and Debussy, believe me, there is a lot of reviews like that, um, about Debussy in that book, you know, just people just going off, like, you know, railing against Debussy. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I would, you know, you know, obviously people can tell you, you know, something sometimes needs to grow on you. And then sometimes it's just certain things aren't for everybody, <laughs> you know, that's true. And yeah, I I know that I'm I'm really you know that's something I have to deal with, you know, pretty much whenever I listen to something new because I, I've I've had some records that I've, I've seen people just gravitate to like man it's so good, and I just totally missed the bus where I'm like man I don't I don't understand why people like this, it doesn't move me at all or sometimes where I'm like you know what I didn't see this for what it was initially. But now I'm kind of like, okay, it's, this is kind of growing on me. As a matter of fact, maybe it's really growing on me. And I mean, that's, you know, with, with these guys, I mean, some of them, I mean, you know, some of their music, like you said, it took 
you know, several hundred years, you know, before, you know, people finally decide, okay, this is, this is a major classic or, you know, or it isn't, so to speak. So, um, you know, that, that's something that, you know, like I said, a, a book like that too, I mean, it's, it, it's a good example to, to put up and look at how, you know, over the years, certain things have been kind of talked down that, you know, you look at really, you know, they didn't like <laughs> this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, back to this piece, um, Bruyard. I, man, I suck at pronouncing French so badly. Um, so, uh, you know, this piece, it's such, well, at times it's such like a, a soft and delicate piece, you know, but then in other times it's really highly virtuosic, you know, but it's, it's so virtuosic and so technically demanding. It, it, it requires the whole range, I think of the pianist abilities, you know, the ability to play soft and delicately and sing and, and yeah. shimmer and bring things out and then be also be powerful and, um, and, you know, lightning fast and technically perfect. And it just requires that whole set of skills, I think, to pull this off. And I yeah, think Christian the, Zimmerman does that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the quiet, yeah, don't let the quiet nature of the piece fool you, you know, where you, you can listen to the nuance of what he's doing and realize that not everybody can do this. I, I, I was trying to pay attention to that too, um, where, you know, the, the book talks about, you know, him trying to get you to focus or the listener, so to speak, on particular parts like, hey, you know, I'm I'm putting some emphasis on this, that or the other with the way I play it. And I, I started to try to listen because, like you said, at a distance, it just sounds like a quiet, soft piano, you know, nothing too complicated. But if you look closer, you know, that's not all there is to it. You know, that's right. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that that's something I I. I tried to listen to the nuance. Nuance in music can be can be so so very important, you know. Especially like you say, when a piece is delicate or the voice or whatever, you know, it, it's not you know big and booming and and braggadocious, so to speak. It, right. It it, Ooh, it takes you know, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes a, a an ear, you know, a, a closer listen to, you know, pick up on on certain things, you know. Mm-hmm that that you'd miss otherwise yeah yeah and that's that's one thing that uh i think a lot of people in modern times have difficulty zeroing in on is nuance in music because in popular music i mean this is not a slight it's just a characteristic there's not a lot of nuance it's it's in your a lot most of it is just it's right there it's right up front it's in your face you know, it, it is what mm. it is. There's not a lot of nuance in classical music. There's a ton of nuance mm-hmm. and you really have to it. A lot of times it really does require a kind of deeper focus, you know, uh, to to really start to pick up on all these nuances. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is definitely one of those pieces. So, uh, yeah. Anything else you want to say? Oh no, no, let's let's go ahead and listen. Okay. So this is our last piece from WC, his prelude Ruyar <laughs> from <laughs> this album Preludes by Christian Zimmerman.
And we just heard Bruyard, and we're going to move on to our second album by Portland, Oregon group The Decemberists, their album The Crane Wife from 2006. And uh, The Decemberists, you know, I've heard them quite a lot over the years. My wife is a big Decemberist fan. So I was, you know, exposed to a lot of their stuff through her. Um, but they're often described as folk rock. That's kind of the sort of genre they're kind of put into. I mean, I would mostly agree with that, but they they have a lot of hints of, I would say, even like prog and pop and stuff sort of infused in their folk rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the first time I heard them, I thought they were British. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. by the way the singer sounds, the singer Colin Malloy, his voice to me sounds like it would be British or Irish or something, but, but no, he's American, um, from Portland. Uh, yeah. Any, any, uh, observations from you on the Decemberists? Uh, some of what you said, definitely the, the progress, you know, observation where they, they will go on a jam where they kind of have a, you know, I guess what you would call an instrumental, you know, infusion and that that's that's cool. I, I've i always kind of like that where people, you know, kind of go off on a tangent and, and just kind of play and shut up. But then they they definitely kind of have a, you know, like you said, a folk or, you know, kind of storytelling side, seemingly. Um, and, um, and and I think, you know, they definitely have a, you know, an intellect about them. I mean, when you you listen to the the lyrics and you know, you're like, man, these guys, they, the words that they're, they're throwing into the song, they, they seem really, really smart. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Very, you know, yes. Very literary driven. And, um, I think that's one thing that drew my wife initially to their music. Um, my wife has a degree in anthropology with a sort of focus on folklore, you know, and that's, a lot of where they take their inspiration from they'll 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 write these like story driven songs that are inspired inspired by um, either historical events or pieces of folklore or something like that uh, I, one thing that I thought was funny I've never seen them live but apparently in their live show um, during encores they often reenact centuries old sea battles <laughs> on stage how does, how does that work I don't know I'd love to see how that works, but um, I have no idea. And <laughs> and one thing I, I liked about them when doing my research is that they don't, you know, a band like this can easily become pretentious, but they don't take themselves too seriously. They have a sense of humor. And that's one thing that I liked. For instance, I'll read a couple of different things here. On their website, they, they sort of... Uh, lists uh, some bands that sort of have influenced them or bands that they like. And a lot of them are bands that you would sort of expect. Like they list, and some of these I've never even heard of, but they list like Norfolk and Western explosions in the sky, postal service, death cab for cutie, you know, the shins, uh, modest mouse. And at the very end, docking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Docking. <laughs> docking. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, I, I, I wouldn't expect docking. No, no, not at all. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about was I was uh, researching the crane wife. This, do you know about this whole thing with them and, and Stephen Colbert? No, I do not. 
Okay, so this this whole thing came about when the crane wife was released. Um, apparently, they urged their fans to create a music video for the one of the songs on the album called O Valencia, where okay. the band filmed themselves playing O Valencia in front of a green screen, and then they they urged fans to like create like digital oh. stuff. And apparently, around the same time. Colbert was doing this thing where he he did this sort of lightsaber thing in front of a green screen and then, you know, challenged people to put him into like a digital environment. So then Colbert accused like mock accused um, (laughs) the Decemberist of stealing his idea. Right. Okay. Okay. So then this mock feud came about and then they came back and said, well, no, you know, here's the date that we did this. So we did this first. So you stole our idea. And this sort of went back and forth. So that culminated into having a guitar solo competition on, on the Colbert show um, with lead guitarist, um, Chris Funk from uh, uh-huh. December. It was supposed to be Chris Funk versus Stephen Colbert. They were going to do this guitar solo competition. And so apparently <laughs> Chris Funk came on and played his guitar solo and then Colbert feigned a hand injury and had uh, Peter Frampton come in (laughs) for him. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't stop there. So then Frampton played his guitar solo and then Colbert declared Frampton the winner. But then the audience got all in an uproar. So then he brings out Henry Kissinger Oh, God. And Henry Kissinger <laughs> declared that tonight, I think the American people won. So that was a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real big deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. That all focused around this album that we're talking about. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Um, I, I tried to look for it on, you know. YouTube. You, well, it's not on YouTube. There are clips of it on um comedy central's website but they're sort of chopped up uh, and yeah so i couldn't really post it on uh, unfortunately but uh anyway back to uh <laughs> to this album the crane wife so the whole album is based on a folktale um a japanese folktale this crane wife folktale and uh It's it, well, it's it's sort of based on from what I read two sort of cycles of songs, one that's based on the crane wife and the other that's based on the tempest of Shakespeare. Hmm. So, you know, getting back to what you said about them being smart and literary. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Um, so the uh, the first song that we're going to hear is called Summer Song. And uh, I, this song I just, I liked. I thought it was sort of a great kind of pop song almost. Um, it's a little unusual to hear the accordion in there, but I think it totally works, you know, with the overall sound. And uh, I liked it. it. I think this is one of their more upbeat kind of poppy songs on the album. Um, they're yeah. definitely, you know, longer, jammier songs, uh, more cerebral songs. and 
and stuff like that. But yeah, what what did you this 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 to me seemed like it would be like the most radio friendly kind of yeah. That, that's yeah. what I was gonna I was gonna get to. This this seems like something that they not 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 necessarily saying they made this song for the radio, but this would be a likely candidate for a song that that would get played on the radio. I mean the the kind of groove to it, you know. Not not too over the top, you know, but but good enough to where, you know, you're like you kind of get an idea of what they're about, and um, you know, going going back kind of to what you said also too about, you know, them not being so serious. That's one thing I think that can kill a band like this when they are too serious. Yes, you know. Yes, and that that doesn't come off on on, on this song either, where they, you know, they they seem so like you know. You know, where the December is, you know, I mean, it's it's not like that at all. You know, it's, you know, just just a band that that seems to be going in several different directions at once. But, you know, kind of has it all together, you know, when they, you know, start to play. And, um, you know, that's uh, that's not something that happens a lot now in music, you know, where you, you have a band with so many influences mm-hmm. as well as, you know, uh, a, a a desire to write beyond you know fluff so yes. to speak yeah yeah and yeah. um that's that's pretty that's pretty unique you know i mean and you know sometimes you don't even get to a point where you look for bands to do that you know so it's 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 a pleasant surprise you know and yeah. then there are band that i i think that you know they probably have a pretty decent following i mean you know when they go from place to place i'd imagine so yeah um Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. So let's check this out. This first track from the Decemberist from the Crane Wife. This is Summer Song. Ramblin', where to begin? I taste the summer on your papery skin. Been saved, the warm of the waves I felt a slip into a watery grave oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. My girl, linen and curls Lips parting like a flag of unfurled She's grand, the bend of her hand Digging deep into the sweep of the sand oh, oh. just heard summer song and we're going to move on to when the war came and this is an interesting song i mean i i dug the song just listening to it you know initially um this is about the heaviest you're gonna ever see the decemberist get 
Mm-hmm. Um, it features this um, sort of really heavy, kind of proggy, you know, rhythmically irregular guitar riff, you know, to this yeah. song. And um, like I said, this is the, this is the heaviest song of theirs I've ever heard. But it really fits the subject material and the subject material is super interesting once i started uh researching it so it's based on this book called hunger and it's about the 900 day siege of leningrad during the second world war where the german army surrounded leningrad and basically didn't let anything in or out for 900 days and so yeah yeah it's insane and so people inside were starving to death obviously and stuff and the book is about this team of botanists who are working at this uh, institute and they're packed pretty much to like protect their catalog of seeds and plants and other things uh from the starving population and from themselves so while they're so their dedication to their their uh you know, work despite starving and all this kind of stuff. And so that's what the song's about. Yeah. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. That's, and that's <laughs> going back to the, the, the composition who, who writes about stuff like this, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, especially to put it in a song that, you know, that's not like, you know, like you said, pretentious, you know, this, this doesn't come off as pretentious. And then, and then it makes you go back and, look at the book and, and look at the story that happened. And, you know, you know, I guess it's, 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 it's smart, progressive rock and roll, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, fractured into all kinds of things. You know, you, you should, you should have brought your wife on to talk about this. I'm pretty sure she <laughs> would, she could enlighten us as well. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely it's definitely different. They kind of mention Arcade Fire in the book too, and, and compare them to that band, uh, which you know they're they're kind of in I guess in the same vein, you know, where they they mix a lot of different styles of music, and and then the the songwriting and, and the material is you know it's a lot like this. Um, and I and I I know that you know. It's it's a it's a kind of like a generational thing, you know. I mean, obviously, you said your your wife had she liked him a lot. And I I think for me sometimes I feel I feel old <laughs> when I listen <laughs> to the you know, because I'm thinking to myself, this is a whole generation that's coming, you know, behind me. But uh-huh. you know, but now I'm I'm trying to you know look back and, and think, you know, okay, maybe you know maybe this is something that I could I could do too. Because before this, I really hadn't listened to him very much, but I like what I hear though. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, let's listen to this last track. This is the Decemberists with When the War Came.
just heard When the War Came, we're going to move on to our third album, Song for Ireland by Daydanan with Mary Black, released in 1983. And um, <clears throat> I kind of wanted to have a talk with Tom Moon about putting this in the book because I couldn't find anything. Couldn't find crap. <laughs> 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 this was about, you know, I, we, I've de- we've definitely come ag- against albums where I've had trouble finding the music and trouble finding information um this is about i think probably the the toughest one yet um i had a lot of trouble finding music uh you know obviously no digital downloads available whatsoever so i i apologize for the audio quality because i'm gonna have to you know stream the audio from youtube basically from these these two i I managed to find two uh things uh none with mary black I was able to find her doing other things on her own. But uh, one, the first uh, piece we're going to listen to, Mole Queen's Reels, is from this album. The other one, called The Rights of Man and Pride of Petrovora, I don't even know if this is, if it's on this album. <laughs> but it's them. So, you know, it's like a live performance. So, and this is what I could find, you know. And, and also finding information on them was very, very difficult. Um, I did surmise that they came up in the in the 70s um, playing uh, really traditional Irish music. And, you know, they came up with other groups that we've covered, like the Chieftains and the Clancy Brothers and others that came up through... Uh, this sort of traditional Irish music revival from the 60s and 70s. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, they've made a lot of albums, um, sure. for sure. Uh, they're just not widely available. I don't know if it's they're just not widely available here, but uh, they're just not widely available. Um, and, and even though this is one of their, you know, kind of, signature seminal albums um it's it's hard to get man if you want the album you have to order a physical copy i found you know a few cds i found some used lps you know yeah but that might be that's the, it. the more yeah. reasonable you know hunt is like an actual lp yeah where, yeah you know some people look at it and go what is this and you go oh dude look it's it's Mary Black and Dadonna. Do you know how hard this is? To... So all of a sudden now the hunt is on. So Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, like I said, the very traditional Irish music um, in the, uh, I don't know, you know, very uh, well played. And, and um, they, they kind of, you know, evoke an even, I, I, for me, like an even older Ireland, you know, than a lot of these groups. So some of the groups we've covered definitely went into the traditional Irish, but they kind of infused a little modern sensibility in there too, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, Day Dunnan is really, really, really traditional, really looking back to an an older Ireland, like an older time. Yeah. Yeah. Where the songs you can tell that People have probably been singing these songs, some of them forever. You know, like we, I, I think we talk about uh, the Boffy band, um, like like what they did. You know, some of these songs you can tell it's just like songs that have been sang and the way they were sang for generations, you know, and uh, or at least the style, you know. And, um, you know, I, I always I always think of St. Patrick's Day 
whenever I hear music like this. I mean, it's it's hard not to, you know, with the yeah, 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 the sensibility of of you know the the way the songs come off and you know the the, the storytelling style and you know the violin and the accordion and you know it's just it's just like a you get the feeling that it's it's, it's a, a surrounding type music where everybody's everybody's singing everybody's sort of you know in a festive mood sometimes you know i mean sometimes the songs can be sad but even even with those i mean some of those songs can can kind of bring out you know you know joyful emotions i guess you would especially if there's a bunch of people singing you know um but yeah i mean going going back to your you know talk about how it, it was hard to find i now i'm i'm curious to see if we could find it you know like I, I love hunting for old, hard to find records. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, this would be one. I mean, if you could find one of their older records where they are together, that that could be fun. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be. Um, yeah, the first track we're gonna play is Mole Queen's Reels. This features Daydanan themselves, and like I said, unfortunately, I couldn't find anything with Mary Black with them. Um, Mary Black, you know, she did this album with them, and then did a lot of stuff on her own. She even did a lot of stuff came over to the United States and worked in country music too in Nashville and sort of went back and forth between Dublin and Nashville for a long time. Um, so she had a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty good career as a singer. Um, but we're going to hear they and themselves playing this traditional Irish reel. Um, it's sort of a, you know, a, a lively sort of jig instrumental Irish dance. And, uh, yeah, let's check it out. Cool. This is Mole Queen's Reels. <laughs> just heard mole queen's reels by daydana and we're going to move on to a live performance of a couple different um instrumental things sort of put together the rights of man and pride of petrovor um 
And this is another, you know, instrumental, shows off their skills. They've got some unusual instruments in the lineup. I think for, for an Irish, traditional Irish group, there's an accordion and a cello mm. in here, along with the more traditional instruments, the, the frame drum, the Irish fiddle, and mm. then the, um, the bazooki, which is like, looks like a really big uh, mandolin kind of. Yeah. Um, and and it's basically those instruments playing this this instrumental tune. Yeah. Anything you want to say about this? Uh, no, just uh, I like bazooki. I like that word uh, <laughs> bazooki. That's just it. And I mean, it, it, it is a cool looking instrument. You know, it's, it is. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a piece of fruit that they they made into a an instrument where they like a uh -huh. pear. You know, anyway, right. <laughs> um, and then obviously the the accordion is one of those those instruments that kind of it just cuts across so many different genres. I mean, Irish folk yeah. music is just one, but uh, when when you find someone who who knows how to play an accordion, it goes from being this really nerdy instrument to to something that can make something very beautiful. You know, yeah, and uh, that comes across in this song for sure. Um, you know, I, I'm. I, I'm just one. Of, I'm a person. I really have a lot of love for Irish folk music. I mean, I I don't really own very much, but whenever I hear it, I can never say I've heard an Irish folk song I didn't like. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of the same way. So, um, yeah, yeah. Let's check this out. Cool. This is Daydanan with the Rights of Man and Pride of Petrovoy. We just heard Day Down and the Rights of Man and Pride of Petrovor, and that's going to do it for 1000 Recordings Podcast number 58. 58? Is that right? Uh, I think you are 56. right. 56. Wow. No, 56. Oh. I'm jumping ahead. 
Um, we're on 56. <laughs> that's right. Because we, we initially we talked about doing a couple of shows at a time. Yeah, okay. so 56. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you'd like to send us an email, please send one to 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. Join us on Twitter at 1000RP. You can join us on Facebook. Um, you can uh, help us out by going on iTunes and leaving us a rating and a review, and we'll read your review on the air. And you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash 1000RP. And that'll help us in uh, all of our expenses and buying music and stuff like that for the podcast. Uh, let's see. What do we have coming up next week? Uh, Deep Purple, Machine Head. Hmm. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah that should be fun. Uh, Deep Purple, you know. Heavy rockers, some of the some of the earliest, you know, what we call, I guess, metal rockers. Um, mm-hmm. um, De La Soul, Three Feet High and Rising. Um, pretty much the soundtrack of my my late teenage years. <laughs> Good. I'll, I'll look forward to hearing you talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a that's a big one for me. One probably probably one of my favorite. I guess rap or hip hop records ever to come out. Definitely one of the most um, innovative in a sense to where there weren't a lot of skits on records back in the day until that record that it introduced the the hip hop skit, if you would, where people would do stuff. Anyway, and then uh, Sandy Denny. Okay. Uh, folk goddess as the book calls her British folk goddess so that should be good yeah yeah man I'm looking forward to it um cool so uh yeah I will um let you get on with your day and um let all of you get on with your days but until next time we'll bring you some more cool albums from Tom Moon's book 1000 recordings to hear before you die later cool bye bye